Hello, Inspire friends and family. This is Pastor Philip Muella. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. But before we start, I got some exciting news and we need your help. Inspire Church was awarded a matching grant that promises to quadruple every financial contribution we receive up to $10,000 from now until the end of February. This means for every dollar contributed, we get $4. For every $100, we get $400. For every $1,000, we get $4,000. This is a game changer for all God is calling Inspired Church to do in 2021. Would you consider making a contribution today and helping us accomplish our goal? If so, please go to inspirechurches.com and click our 10 for 40 initiative. There, follow three easy steps and watch your contribution quadruple for the glory of God. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're blessed by this message. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you could join us. My name is Roger. I am one of the pastors here at Inspire Church. And this is the last Sunday that is in our 21-day fast and prayer. How are you holding up? Um, I'm sure that it has been difficult at times, but super beneficial and fruitful. I know that we are having a powerful time as we are becoming more aware of who God is. A couple of things that we have done every week is we have highlighted resources that you can find at inspirechurches.com to just inspire you, to inform you, to equip you, um, to go deeper in prayer and have a better understanding of what it's like to have a life that is filled with prayer. And so there's two more resources that I want to just bring to your attention. One is called A Prayer Life That Nourishes Your Relationship to God. And the second article is called Why Prayer Often Feels Impossible. These are two incredible resources that you do not want to miss out on. So make sure that you check them out at inspirechurches.com. I'm going to pray and we're going to get in today's study. But before that, I just want to say one last time, thank you so much, Pastor Ed, for allowing us to come into your office to hold these studies. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that we get to come before your word, that we get to open it and read it, meditate on it. And I pray, Lord, that we allow it to speak its truth to us Heavenly Father, I pray that we will continue to use this time to draw closer to you, to see you more clearly, to see who you are, what you're doing in us, and what you desire to do through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a question for you. It's this, how did you learn to pray? How did you learn to pray? Um, for me, I grew up in a church that read King James Bible only. And so what was funny is, is that oftentimes when we would pray, instead of praying in our modern English language, we would actually pray in this Elizabethan language. And so oftentimes, you know, our prayers would be filled with thous and thuses and thys and thines and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, and that's how our prayer would sound uh, when we went before the Lord, except what I would notice actually is unless uh, I was facing something really difficult that whenever I 
got to a place where I was really in something that was hard, that I was going through a rough situation, that all of a sudden my language went from thy Lord to God, what's up? What's going on? My language would change. And it's interesting how when you begin to pray um, sort of in times of difficulties that our prayer sort of changes. What do you pray when you're going through problematic and demanding situations? Well, what's interesting is James gives us insight on what to do um, when we are facing, when we are walking through difficult times. And I'm going to explain to you why I felt that this message uh, would be relevant as the last message of this 21-day fast. But first, let's read what James has to say. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should, here it is, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of a sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. See, write this down. This is sort of the big idea When facing difficulties, what you need is not always a way to avoid them, but the wisdom to go through it. When facing difficulties, what you need is not always a way to avoid it, but the wisdom to go through it. Here's why that I thought that this would be relevant, and I believe God is speaking to us today, is because we are about to end our 21 days of fasting strong, right? We're coming up to the last week. In fact, next Sunday, we are going to be gathered together at our family reunions. That's going to be awesome. We're going to have communion. We're going to break our fast together. It's going to be great. But what I'm fearful of is that some of you might have think, okay, I I fasted and I prayed for 21 days. I sacrificed. I gave up my Xbox. I gave up social media, right? And, And now what that means is for the rest of 2021, that it should be smooth sailing for me, right? I'm on God's good side. I scored some points with him and now I should have a problem free life. And then when you run into difficulties, I'm afraid that you are going to go back to old patterns. And so I want to encourage you today, but I also want to show you that what James says to do, that when we face difficulties, that we should ask for wisdom. See, what the Bible tells us, what James is teaching us, um, is that we have to become more aware of what God is doing in your life Um, And that when you do that, that it does not promise to be problem free. 
but that actually you should expect to walk through difficult times. Notice what he says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, he doesn't say if you face or if you happen to face, but he says whenever you face trials of many kinds. In other words, he's letting us know that you should anticipate walking through difficult times, right? And, and, and what he is saying is, is he's saying uh, you not just to it, not, not just that you should anticipate it, but that he's trying to give us godly advice for what you to go through it. Now, he's not saying to go look for problems. He, he's not saying to cause problems, right? He, he's not saying you should be a Christian masochist, right? But he's just letting us know that there will be problems, even after we have fasted and prayed for 21 days. Because once again, when facing difficulties, what you need is not always a way to avoid it, but the wisdom to go through it. And James is trying to show us that the main thing we need to know when going through anything hard, the main thing, whether maybe it's grief, for example, you've lost a loved one, or divorce, that's a terrible experience, or being laid off, anything, anything that comes along, what you and I need is wisdom. Now, now, you might be saying, no, 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 what I need is uh, more money or, or what I need is, you know, a how-to book or a pill or some sort of technique on how to change the situation to match my feelings, right? But, but actually, the Bible says something completely different. For, for example, when you look at Paul, all of the prayers that Paul prayed for his friends, the remarkable thing is that he never once prayed for their circumstances to change. Instead, he prayed for them to change. You say, well, how does that happen? Well, look at verse 4. Verse 4 in the Greek literally says this, let suffering have its effect of making you mature. Let suffering, let it. In other words, suffering does not automatically make you better. In fact, it can make you bitter instead of better. So when James says, let it, what, what he means is just because bad things are happening to you does not mean that you are going to all of a sudden become a great human being. In fact, you could become a shell of a human being. So, so how do you get through difficult situations and how do you make sure that when you come through them, that these things make you better and that you allow them to form you into the image of Jesus Christ? And the answer is, you have to look to wisdom. That, that's the only way to understand this passage. So really, this study only has two points. You ready? Point number one, why we need it. And point number two, how to get it. That's it. Point number one, why we need it. And point number two, how to get it. So let's dive in. Number one, why we need wisdom in difficult times. I have to make sure I say this carefully because I don't want you to misunderstand or misinterpret what's being said. But when terrible events come to us, um, to, the, to a degree, the reason why um, something is terrible, what, what makes suffering suffering, right, or what makes trouble trouble 
isn't the event itself, but it's what we tell ourselves about the event. It's how we interpret the event. It's the wisdom in which we receive the event, the beliefs through which we see the situation that we are going through. Let let me just give you an example about how perspective matters. In fact, I'll give you two. Number one is that there was this wealthy couple that just got married. They're going on their honeymoon and they arrive to the hotel and the gentleman says, yes, let me take you to your suite. It's room 101. And they get there. He opens up the room and they walk in and they look around them and they just are so disappointed. They look at the room and they say, this isn't going to work. This is uh, this is a dump. This isn't what we expected at all. We can't possibly stay here. And they walk out. Well, then imagine somebody who maybe just got out of prison comes to the same hotel and says, I need a room for the night. And he says, we only have one room. It's the same room, room 101. So he takes him to that same exact room. The man walks in and the man says, oh, look at this This is great. This is beyond my expectation. Well, what was the difference? Well, they interpreted it differently. They received it with different perspectives, that they were thinking different things. They had different expectations for what they deserved. Now, now I want to be careful because I'm not saying that things like sickness and death and suffering and loneliness and loss are not bad in themselves, right? I'm not saying that what is good is all in the eye of the beholder and what's bad is all in the eye of the whole beholder. But what I am showing you and, and what James is teaching us is something that I say often, which is this, it's not just what you go through, but how you go through it that makes the difference. See, what determines whether you'll face difficulties with peace and growth or whether you'll face them with despair and be destroyed by it is wisdom. It's an understanding of the gospel. It's an understanding of Jesus. It's an understanding of who God is to you, what he is doing in you, and what he desires to do through you. Wisdom. But, but not just any sort of wisdom, biblical wisdom. Well, what's the difference? Well, the Bible actually tells us that there is something called worldly wisdom. Let me break this down for you. In fact, I'll give you three principles really quick about worldly wisdom. And really what, what the Bible means when it says worldly wisdom is false wisdom, false wisdom. But what's crazy is even though this is false wisdom, to some degree, even if intellectually you reject these three things, your soul, your soul still somewhere uh, believes a lot of this stuff and you have to process through it. Um, and the fact is, is that some of you may be being crushed today by the difficulties of life because to some degree you are holding some of these false wisdoms to be true. And, and I actually got these from a conversation that I heard between Tim Keller and D.A. Carson. It was really interesting. And, and this is what they said. They said that we actually live in a technological age. We live in a sin forgetful age. And we live in a secular age. What do they mean? Well, number one, that we live in a technological age. This is the first worldly wisdom that we're going to talk about. Science and technology. Now, here's the problem. Science and technology have promised more than they can really 
offer, right? Because we are in an era that because of science and technology, we've come to believe that we're in charge, right? That That we're in charge. Um, and the first thing that I think I just want to point out is that this is something that has really sunk into us. It, the world's wisdom now says, listen, we are in charge of the universe, that we, that we really do have the ability to make a perfect society if we really wanted to, if we really tried hard enough that you and I could come together and we can make the perfect community. That's what we really believe. So if something goes wrong, right, the, the, then we, we say the government should have done it or, it, or, or it's uh, the doctors that should do something or it's the schools that should do something. And so let's yell and let's scream and let's sue, right? And I'm not against lawsuits or technology or medical advancements, right? Because the, the reality is, yes, things in some ways are much better, right? But, but all the medicine in the world, all the technology in the world has never decreased the death rate, right? The death rate is still the same. It's one death per person. It's never decreased it. Why? Because the reality is we are not in charge. The second is that we are in a sin-forgetful age. Now, this could be very offensive to us, especially us in the West, but I want us to listen to this. There's a book titled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And the entire book is based on the assumption that we have a problem, which is this. How could God give us this kind of life? The, the, the assumption in the book is that we deserve a better life than we have. Now, what's funny is nowhere in the book is that assumption ever defended, but, but it's just assumed. And it's not just in the book that it's assumed, but it's our reality. People today assume this. They have forgotten the reality of sin. And part of the reason that people are mad or depressed or unmotivated or filled with self-pity or never satisfied is because, is because we, we look at room 101 and we think we deserve better than this, right? We, we think the problem is out there somewhere and not in here. Some people have coined this to be called Disney princess theology, which means that whenever you look at the Bible, you always think that you're the hero and never the villain. Whenever you read the Bible, you always put yourself in the place of David, but never Goliath. You always think that you are Jesus, but never Judas. And yet, actually, what the Bible says is that we are more like Judas, this is why the question, why, do God, why does God send people to hell, really isn't an astonishing question. The better question, the more difficult question, the more shocking question to ask is, why does God allow people in heaven? Because we don't deserve heaven, and yet, through His grace, we get it. Finally, number three, we live in a secular world. A, a secular world says this, that, um, listen, if you're going to be happy, you have to get it here in this life because this is all there is. So if you're going to be happy, you got to get it here. You got to get it now, right? This is the only place. And so what that does is it makes people do whatever it takes 
to be happy. So, so now happiness has become the true goal. Your personal happiness now has become the end goal, the big win. And so before your marriage, your money, your kids, your career, your relationships, your accomplishments, your educations, all of that all ends up being centered around, does it make you happy? Because, because what, this, uh, what, what, be, what being in a secular world tells us is that, listen, if we're not happy now, we're never going to be happy. But see, Christians understand the reality of eternity. In fact, it's almost like a kid playing in a sandbox. I remember growing up, my great-great-grandmother when I was a kid had a little sandbox for me and I could spend hours in this sandbox. I could spend hours playing with trucks and building castles and all sorts of stuff. Um, And in a way, um, that was a place for me to go when I wanted to be happy. But see, the reality is, is that there is a real place called the beach. And at the beach, it's the sandbox is almost feels limitless. The sand goes on for miles. And, and what I could do there is so much bigger than whatever I could do in my tiny sandbox. But here's the problem. As a kid, If I didn't know the beach existed and my grandmother would come to say, hey, listen, I want to take you out of your sandbox because I'm going to bring you to this thing called a beach. What would happen? Well, I would scream and cry and say, no, 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 and and demand to stay in the sandbox. Why? Because uh, my imagination cannot comprehend this other place. I've never seen it before. I, I don't know what it is. And so to me, my grandmother is just trying to take away my happiness. But see, there's such thing as a beach. Friends, there is such thing as eternity. There is a life after this life. And so false wisdom, worldly wisdom, says that you're in control, that you deserve a problem-free life, and that the only reality is the here and now. But the Bible actually says something very different. The Bible says that the wisdom that you need is not that kind of wisdom, but what you need is biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom. A wisdom that causes you not to paint a false reality, but to look at reality and understand it. Well, how do we get it? How do we get that wisdom that will help us through trials? Well, first notice James says this, that you have to ask. See, part of the problem with Praying is that most of us just don't pray. In fact, if I'm going to be honest with you, I went years and years of having a public ministry. I went years and years of of, of preaching and teaching the word, but not having a private prayer life. And what James says is first, you have to ask, but not just that you have to ask, but how you ask matters. That you have to ask, not double minded, not doubting. Now, what that means to be double-minded is not that you can't have questions, but what it means is this, is that you cannot be divided in your loyalties, that when you go before God in prayer, that you can do it, but only by having one loyalty, which is Jesus Christ. By going to God and asking 
for wisdom. And what James says is that if you do this, if you do it without having divided loyalties, but having your sole loyalty in Jesus Christ, that if you do that, then, then James says that God uh, will give you wisdom. He doesn't say he might give you wisdom, but that he will give you wisdom. Why? Why? Why would he do that? Why would God answer that prayer? Well, it's not because of your obedience, but it's because of Christ's. See, all of the weight of eternal justice for sin came down on Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was on the cross, he stayed. He was steadfast. He endured. He did not budge. And because he persevered, then through him, we also can persevere. This is the wisdom that we desperately need. When facing difficulties, what you need is not always a way to avoid it, but the wisdom to go through it. You know, the fact is, is that for many people, praying is almost non-existent. And it is almost like a kid riding a toy horse. You know, you've seen the horse with the stick on it and you put it between your legs and you go galloping around, right? Well, what's happening? Well, in your imagination, you believe that the horse is carrying you. But in reality, you're carrying the horse. A, a Christian that does not have a prayer life is just like the kid on a toy horse. In his imagination, he, he thinks his faith is carrying him when in reality, he's trying to carry his own faith. And the problem with that is you're going to get tired and burnt out and say, this is not working. You need to have a prayer life. You need to go to God and ask, but not with double-mindedness, but knowing that your loyalty is ultimately in King Jesus. And because he endured the cross, then through him, in his name, we too will persevere. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you because, God, I believe that there are many people right now who are going through very difficult situations. But, but Lord, they have not stopped to ask for wisdom. Heavenly Father, maybe they are going through the aftermath of a divorce or the false sense of, of not being whole because they're single, or maybe their family's in disarray, or maybe they've just gone past the point of frustration and now they are numb. I don't know, but whatever the situation might be, they have gone through it without stopping to ask for biblical wisdom. And so I pray that right now, that God, you will help us to do that. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we will first look and, and see, uh, do our loyalties lie somewhere else? Is there some sort of false wisdom that we have grasped onto and that we have in our heart? And Lord, I pray that we'll replace that with the gospel truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram 
at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.